Please turn in your Bibles this morning with me to the book of 1 Thessalonians and chapter number 4. 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. And let's look there in the Word of God at verse number 13 and verse number 14. Then we will study some of the truths that are found therein around those Verses, but let's use them this morning as our springboard for our message today. First Thessalonians chapter number four, verse thirteen and verse number fourteen. The word of God says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. Let's pray again. Father, thank You for the good Word of God. We're glad, Father, that this is not the opinions of men, but rather it is... Your word. And we ask God that you might, Lord, uh, speak to our hearts through the Spirit and through the Scriptures. And your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to speak this morning on what I refer to as the issues of ignorance. You'll find here in verse number 13, Paul says, I would not have you to be ignorant. Now, the Apostle Paul is greatly concerned about how ignorance impacts our lives. You know, to be ignorant is not about the level of someone's intellect. It's not about your IQ level. When somebody calls you ignorant today, that's kind of an... They are really probably trying to insult you by saying that, but really the word has to do with the fact that not that you're dumb or not that you're stupid, not that you are retarded, but rather that you are uninformed of the facts. And so what he is saying here is, I don't want you to be ignorant of the facts and the truth and the knowledge of the truth. Because, you know, just because that you may deny the facts or alter the facts, it does not change the outcome of the facts and how it impacts your life. It just doesn't. So, Paul's personal testimony, by the way, if you'll read through the book of Acts, how many times does he give his testimony? When you get in the book of Philippians, he gives his whole history of his life, almost. And when he wrote to Timothy... He constantly writes of his thankfulness to God for God's grace in his life and God's long-suffering in his life. Here's what he said. He said, I was a blasphemer. And I was a persecutor. And I was injurious, meaning he went after people to harm them. He said, but I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly, ignorantly. In unbelief. Meaning that he did not know better. He did not know better. Because he testified often that he lived with a clear conscience. And walked with in the light that he had. And he did it sincerely. I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. said, Nothing in this world is more dangerous than sincere ignorance. People will give their lives. In their ignorance, they will, they will blow their bodies up in their ignorance, thinking that they're going to inherit, you know, 70 virgins are waiting upon them while they're taking down a school with a bomb. You know, God will hold you and I responsible and accountable for our ignorance when knowledge and light is available to us. You know, it's that you could have and you should have had you wanted to know the truth. Paul told those on Acts, in Acts 17 on Mars Hill that God is not very far from any of you 
if you would but begin to seek after him. Second Peter chapter 3 says that in the last days men would be mockers of the truth, scoffers of the coming of the Lord. And he said something interesting about them. He said that those men would be willingly ignorant. They don't want to know the truth. What disturbs me today is the average American family in America, they dismiss the value of a local Bible-believing church in their city and in their town, not acknowledging the fact that that is God's pillar and ground of the truth. That it's not at the schoolhouse, and it's not at the courthouse, and it's not at the White House, nor is it at the college campuses. And their hope in the future of their children is on the college campus where they worship the wisdom and intellect of man. You know, in the days of old, however, like when Harvard, Harvard was started and Yale, these schools were based upon God-fearing men when they began these schools. And today, a four-year... Do you realize that in America that uh, there are today uh, uh, tw- over 2,800 four-year colleges in America alone. America worships the wisdom of man. Unfortunately, these campuses have focused on indoctrination more than they have education. The church house is the place to be indoctrinated with truth. I saw a reporter interviewing a college student this week about climate change. And he said that farmers are the main issue for climate change and that farmers should be stopped. Now, that's, that's pretty stupid. I mean, you know, everything that you eat and wear comes from the hands of a farmer. The recent blow-ups in America on campuses today over what's going on in Israel. Even one of their own from the world, Bill Mayer, who has a show called Real Time. He said that he saw the Harvard kids siding with the terrorists. And that's what they are. They're terrorists. He said, he said if you absolutely have to go, talking about college, or, or, or get an education. He says, if you absolutely have to go. Do not go to an elite college. He said, because as recent events have shown it, it just makes you stupid. Kids go into these schools from some, a lot of them come from various churches in their cities and their towns and they go to these campuses and they come out hating the nation of Israel. Now, who did that to them? They come out hating capitalism. That built what they are attending. They hate conservatism. They hate biblical Christianity and Christian morality. When it comes to same-sex marriage and transgenderism and sodomy, all these things, they absolutely come out with their brains warped with truth. Paul said here in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, you know, there are some things you and I can afford to be ignorant about and we can get by in life, but there are some things you can't. So let's carefully examine our text today. And Paul deals several times in the Word of God about ignorance. Our ignorance about Israel and its role today, how it is separated from the church of God. He wrote... Romans chapter 9, chapter 10, chapter number 11 to let you know God still has a plan for the nation of Israel. The church has not replaced the nation of Israel. He deals with so many things about our ignorance, about even concerning the spiritual gifts in the local assembly. And he deals with our ignorance about the coming of the Lord and the wrath of God. He deals with so many things that we are ign- uninformed. Not, we're not, we're, listen, we are not a dumb people here, but sometimes we just don't know. And so it's important that we expose ourselves to the truth. 
in 1 Thessalonians in chapter 4, he is going to address a group of people who were looking for the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's important that you understand that term, the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ, which means back in those days they believed that He could come at any time. And if you don't understand that, then you'll be looking for the Antichrist instead of the Christ. Chapter 4, you'll notice he says this, verse 13. He says, but I would not have you to be ignorant brethren. You know what that tells me, Brother Doug? That you and I are to be students of the truth continually. That we are to remain teachable. No man has arrived. No man has it all. No one. You say, well, I know everything. It's obvious. It's obvious that you are an ignorant individual. According to 1 Corinthians 8, if we think that we know some things, we actually don't know everything that we should. And honestly, a man who's informed, he realizes he needs to know more. That's the truth. And he says here, I'm not happy to be ignorant, brethren. You've got to remain teachable so that you can remain conformable to the image of Christ. And until you have arrived at the very image of Christ, you are still teachable or should be teachable in your Christian life. I, I, I get tired of meeting men in churches when I go preach different meetings and some of them, they, they don't listen to anything that the, pre- the pastor has said or anything that I'm saying in that meeting because they seem like they already know they are it already. They have arrived. And you can see it. It oozes out of them. And yet there is no charity about them. There is no godly love about them. Brother, you can be, have a Ph.D., and have a doctor in theology, but if you do not love your brother sitting next to you or across the aisle from you, you have not arrived. You're just a a smart dummy. That's what you are. They could use you training cars, car wrecks, one of those training dummies. That's what they could use you for. I don't know where that came from. That was not in my notes. I had to stay away from the flesh. But I want you to look how important this text is. And I want to help you today. Let's get serious about this right here. He said, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Wow. You know, someone said to know that you do not know is better than to think you know when you don't know. Let me say that again. To know that you do not know, meaning you don't know everything about that subject, is better than to think you know when you do not. And this thing about those who have died, those who have crossed over, the man who thinks that he knows everything about that subject has misunderstood the Bible in that we still see through a glass darkly. And that there are some things that we do know, but there's so much about it that God has left us uninformed about. And so Paul is writing to them because they were looking for the coming of the Lord, and yet they had loved ones who had passed away. And they're thinking, man, they've they've left that, meaning that they still have, really, what you might say, an Old Testament mentality about, about death and the death of the saints. See, God didn't put all the light in the Old Testament. There is something in the Bible called progressive revelation. In that, and, and when you see some of these groups like sometimes uh, Jehovah's Witnesses and groups like this, they talk about how that, that death is it and you just in the grave and there's soul sleep and all that stuff. They always are quoting Old Testament scriptures. And yet the, the, New, the New Testament gives us very much what I would say, progressive revelation on the subject. Are you saying, preacher, that God sometimes doesn't let us know everything to begin with in the Bible? Yes, that is exactly what I'm telling you. They did not. Those Old Testament prophets did not even foresee or knew what was going to happen concerning the New Testament church. 
It was a mystery to them. And Paul had, was revealed, it was revealed to him concerning that. And so it's important that you understand that God gives more light as time goes on. You say, why would he do that? You'll have to ask him when you get there. If you get there, Because at the judgment seat, the great white throne, I don't think you'll be asking questions. But I am saying here that God has a... The Bible is not all that God knows. It's all that man needs to know at that time. And and listen, it is, it is not your intellect that unlocks, un, unlocks the Bible. It is the illuminating of the Holy Spirit that unlocks the Bible. It is a supernatural book. Yes, you need to know how to read. Yes, you need to comprehend sentences and paragraphs and things of that nature. But it is the Holy Spirit that reveals the divine truth that is found in those paragraphs and found in those sentences. We are dependent upon Him to give us that divine truth. So when you get to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, He says, listen, I want to talk to you about a few things. I'm going to write to you so that I may comfort you. And you know, there's something about real knowledge that can comfort an individual on a subject. If I just knew. And he says here, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Concerning loved ones departed. The imminent return of Christ had been taught in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. He mentions at the end of those chapters about them looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. His appearing. Death had brought sorrow. Their loved ones. Our dear families and our friends. And listen, we do grieve over this. We do sorrow over this. Do not compare your sorrow and your grief to others. Because there are people in your life that you don't miss. I had a widow one time here, and I, I wrote it down. I've got it in my, my, my uh, journal. Uh, she had been married for 35 years. Her husband had been a drunkard and been abusive, and he died. I preached his funeral. I preached to his drunken friends right here. And I called on her to check on her, and she said, Preacher, don't you worry about me. I am okay, and I do not miss him at all. Do not compare that to someone who has woven their life together and who, whose heartbeat was connected to the next heartbeat and everything in life was, was, was just them walking and weaving their life together and that loved one passes away. They have a hard time getting past that. And there's a hole there that never heals up. Don't compare. You say, oh yeah, I know what it's like to lose a mate. Well, maybe you didn't like your mate. Yeah, but there are some who did. Maybe you didn't like your mother and father, but some did. Maybe you didn't like your son or daughter, but some do. My brother's going to be with the Lord. He was always, he was seven years older than me and I, but he was always my little brother because he was semi-retarded. Son of a light down syndrome child. And so he was like my little brother. He passed away several years ago, though he was seven years older than me. I dreamed about him the other night. Why do we do that? Why do we sometimes dream about people because when they're gone? Why is it that we sometimes just see something that reminds us? And because it is because there is a connection there and we wonder about our loved ones and we wonder sometimes where did they go? What are they doing? And how are they doing? Do you ever think about that sometimes with your mother, your father, your brother, your sister, your son, your daughter? Listen, this world knows how to make money off of the unknown. And there are books written and there are movies made and people gravitate to it. Because they want to know what's on the other side. They want to know how their loved ones are. Necromancers and mediums and seance workers, they take advantage of people who want to be in contact with their loved ones who have gone on to the other side. People have had great experiences. I didn't say that they didn't have the experience. But they have come back and said, we went to heaven for a while or we went to hell for a while and then they wrote books or made movies about it. I put 
I do not place any confidence whatsoever in what these people have to say. Especially if anything they have to say is contrary to the Word of God. I don't, I do not. I don't find comfort in those things. I don't look for comfort in those things. I need something that is true. I want to know the facts about this. But I want you to notice something that Paul does. He says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. He said, you'll notice that he uses the term, verse number 13, which are asleep. And verse number 14, he says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Verse 15, For this was said unto you by the word of the Lord. End of that verse. He said, The Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. And then down in verse number 16, he uses the term dead in Christ. It's like he is comforting them with, and listen, do you believe the Holy Spirit chooses particular words? Jesus said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded from the mouth of the Lord. That term sleep is more of a comforting word because... It implies something that, number one, is temporary. And and number two, it is something that is a place and a time of rest. And so he uses that term in reference to their loved ones who have gone on uh, to be with the Lord. And then he finally brings them to the conclusion that they are dead or departed. And that's what Jesus did with Lazarus. He told his men when Lazarus was was dead. He told his men, Lazarus is asleep. And then eventually he had to convince them, what I'm telling you is he's dead. But meaning that it was temporary. And they were in a place of, of rest because that's what sleep implies in the Bible in many of these places. That it speaks of a time of rest, it speaks of something temporary, but in when it comes to death, it speaks of the body, not the soul and spirit. So when they talk about sleep, we're talking about death being the departure of the soul and the spirit from the body, and the depositing of the body back to the earth. You came from the dust, and to the dust you shall Return. And so you have here, Paul is letting them know, yes, that they are asleep and that it is something that is uh, temporary. All right? And so let's talk about that for just a moment. What's going on? Where are they? What's going on? Let's talk about that for just a moment because Paul wants them to know in verse number 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And he says in verse number 13, he says, them, them. And I think it's very important that you understand. And it talks about them in verse number 14. At the end of that verse, he says, will God bring with him? With him. So where are they? To be absent from the body is to be present With the Lord. But I need you to understand something. He's putting a great emphasis here on the resurrection of the body, isn't he? Again, you go back to some of your hymnology and some of the fiction books that you've have read and movies that you have watched. That when a person goes to be with the Lord as if Man, they've arrived and that's it. And man, they're in glory and they're walking the streets of gold and they're sitting in the lap of Jesus. And man, that's it. That's not true. Because you are not complete. God made the soul and the spirit to dwell in a body. You are a trinity. And when you die, your soul and spirit separate from your body and your body goes to the grave. And the Bible calls that a natural body. It calls it an earthly body. A terrestrial body. And then he says in 1 Corinthians 15 that there is a spiritual body. 
And that it will, meaning the future body, at the resurrection, that there is a spiritual body. It is a celestial body. It will be like the Lord Jesus Christ. When you see the Lord Jesus Christ mentioned as being the first begotten from the dead, He's not the first one whoever that was, that was ever restored back to life. But He is the first begotten from the dead. Meaning this, that all of those people who came back to life, they did not receive that new body. They did not receive that spiritual body, that celestial body. They were still in their earthly body and they died again or would see them today. Have you seen Lazarus lately? Did you talk to him this week? So when a person dies, as you've heard me mention this many times over the years, it's like the hand inside of a glove. That glove is the body. And when that, when death occurs, that soul and spirit separate from that glove, like that hand coming out of that glove, and that glove is placed into the ground. Planted a seed. Paul said that seed that goes into the ground is not the same thing that comes up. That soul and spirit goes to be with the Lord. I'm gonna, let me say this, what I, what I believe the, the Bible teaches, and I think it's, again, don't, don't get in an argument and a debate about this. Try, these were written to comfort people. So work with me here. You say, well, what about this and what about that? Well, if you and I talk for an hour after church, I'd be asking you, well, what about this and what about that? Can you just at least receive some comfort from some possible facts that I'm going to give you from the Bible? Jesus Christ said to the thief on the cross, Today thou shalt be with me where? In paradise. Where did Jesus go when he died? Did he go up or did he go down? The Bible says he went into the heart of the earth. Jesus said as as, as Jonah was in the bed of the well for three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth. Also referred to in Luke 16 as Abraham's bosom. Also referred to as a place of comfort and rest for the believer. According to Ephesians, I believe it's in chapter number 3, I believe it is, that Jesus, or chapter 4, He led captivity captive. When He went down, He came up. And he led captivity captive. And when Paul was stoned, the Bible says he went into the third heaven and he also referred to that place as paradise. And there you find, I believe, when that word paradise, it comes from the belief and the word and the understanding that it would be a place that you would go that was just outside the king's palace. And before you actually saw the king's face, before you actually went into the king's presence, before you actually went into his throne room, that you were in a place of comfort, you were a place of conversation and consciousness, you were able to communicate, it was a beautiful place, and you waited there until you were called. That's where that word comes from, that word paradise for us today. That's what happens. And have you ever heard anybody say, where, where is... Uh, Brother Brad, well, he's, he's going to see the doctor. But when you get to the doctor, it's possible that he's sitting in a waiting room. But you're going to say he's at the doctor. And you're going to say that's where he's at. But he hasn't seen the doctor's face yet. But the doctor didn't put him outside in the elements. The doctor put him in a place that, of comfort to wait till he was called. You understand what I'm saying here? Because otherwise, the resurrection means very little. If I'm already getting everything at death that's coming, what's what's the big deal about the resurrection? Am I I two-thirds up there and said, Hey, hurry up and get up here. I'm not all me yet. I mean, that's silly. There is something about the resurrection that is critical to us. And the Bible says that the Lord Jesus Christ... Uh, conquered death and hell by His resurrection. And when Jesus was raised from the dead, He was the first begotten from the dead. In that He had a celestial body, it was a different kind of body. It was able to walk through walls. It was able 
to transport. We, we heard that word this morning, Jesus being our transport. I don't know about you, but one day I'm getting beamed up. And Jesus is my portal. Amen? Now look with me here. I'm no, no joking here now. We're talking here now about the natural body, the spiritual body, the mortal body becoming immortal, the earthly, the heavenly. So where's my brother? I believe he's in a place of comfort. I believe he's in a place of rest. I believe he's conscience. Necromancers in the Old Testament were put to death. Mediums were put to death. Witches were put to death. Why? Why was it a capital punishment? Because they were trying to contact the dead. And Saul, there was Saul when he died. Excuse me. When Samuel died, he went to a place. The Bible says he was resting. He was resting. But he was conscious. He was conscious. And you understand that the Lord is implying to us here that if somebody, if you're a loved one and you've lost them, that they are what the Bible refers to as asleep. Their body's asleep. Awaiting its resurrection. It's temporary. There's something else about this that I think you should consider. When you, I think that when we cross over, time takes on another dimension. Now, Brother Stout, I know that you enjoy that kind of studies. Time takes on another dimension. Have you ever gone to sleep and then all of a sudden you woke up and said, Man, I just went to bed. You ever done that? I mean, you went to sleep and boom, just like that. Man, golly, that was like a nap. I don't think those up there or those over there are going to feel like it's been two or 3,000 years or 20 years or 40 years. I think time takes on another dimension, totally different than what it is down here. You say, well, can you prove that? No, but you can't either. But I am saying I believe it's going to be like, in, in that respect, like sleep in that it will be just, just a moment's time. And so I want you to look in chapter 4 with me again. I need to hurry here. Because what he's trying to do is comfort them. He's not trying to debate anything. He's not trying to lay out anything to, to uh, approve to them. He just said, listen, don't be ignorant about this. He said, your loved ones are asleep. Their body is temporary. You'll see them again. He said, and he, and he says, listen, the, the main thing that I want you to get out of this, Paul is saying is, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. And he says in verse number 17, he says, I don't want you to be ignorant about the fact that they'll be caught up, uh, to be with the Lord. And boy, that's a, that's a, that's a phrase that we need to try to understand right now. You'll notice in verse number 17, well, let's read these other verses before we move on, okay? Let's look in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with Him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain in the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. The term caught up together is where we get our phrase, the rapture of the church. In chapter 5, he is going to address to them the subject of the day of the Lord and the day of wrath and the revelation of Christ. Do not be ignorant of this fact that the rapture and the revelation of Jesus Christ, like it's mentioned in the book of Revelation, those are not the same. And if you don't separate those two, then all those scriptures are going to be confusing to you in the Gospels. But Jesus talks about as it was in the days of Noah. And all of those things when He talks about the nation of Israel going through the great tribulation period 
And God dealing with the nation of Israel again. And God dealing with the Gentile nations again. All of that becomes convoluted if you do not understand that God has a plan for the church. And it's not earthly. It's heavenly. That it is not material. It is spiritual. And that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. And that it will be earthly. And it will be material. That God will, according to the book of Second Peter, there was a world that used to be, and there is a world that now is, and there's going to be another world to come. And Peter is writing about the wrath of God coming, about how that the elements will be dissolved, and how that God with fire would purge everything here, and all of those things. And he's talking about the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ when He comes back in wrath. And that's why he started this book at the first chapter. In the last verse, he says, listen, God has delivered us from the wrath to come. And he's letting them know that the Lord Jesus Christ is going to appear and that the day of wrath has not yet come. Though they were going through some tribulation, they were not in the tribulation. But that the Lord would come and to comfort themselves with this. That he would be coming back. And that when the Lord comes back, he takes the church out. See, that's a whole different ball game than the promise he has made to the nation of Israel. When you hear people railing against the nation of Israel, and I've seen some guys on YouTube uh, that are supposed Christians, and they are what you might call apologetic Christians, meaning then they ought to apologize for what they're saying. But they're, they're debating and they're saying that, that anybody who just preaches what I just said is not correct. But I say to them, you're the one who is not correct. But at some point, you're going to have to read your Bible and pray and ask the Holy Spirit to prove all things and hold fast to that which is good. But I do know this, God said give no offense to three people. He said, number one, He said don't do it to the, to, to the nation of Israel. Number two, to the church of God. And number three, to the Gentiles. And God deals with all three. And the church of God and its blessings and its riches, these are heavenly blessings. These are a heavenly inheritance. These, uh, our things are in heavenly places. This is not so for the Jew. God will keep His word for the nation of Israel. Now let's look at these passages and help you to understand this. He says in verse 17, that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. And according to 1 Corinthians 15, we'll all be changed. He said, we'll not all sleep. He said, but we shall all be changed. Why? Because these mortal bodies will have to be changed to immortal bodies. And these earthly bodies will have to be changed into heavenly bodies. Well, that's not true when he comes down the second time and these Jews inherit the new heavens and the new earth. God is going to do some things differently for the church of God. Now, you'll notice he says in verse 18, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Well, I will say to you that it's not much comfort if if I'm looking for the Antichrist and I'm looking for the great tribulation and I'm looking for the wrath of God. I don't find much comfort in that. I just don't. And that's why he says in chapter 5, verse 1, and I must hurry. But of the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. He said, you know better. You know this. I've told you about this. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And that's not the rapture. The day of the Lord is not talking about the rapture of the church, the catching away of the believer. This is what's going to happen upon the earth. And he said in verse number 3, When they shall say peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them. God's wrath will be severe, and it will be sudden. He said in verse number 4, But ye brethren are not in darkness, that that day should overtake you as a thief. So the closer we see these things coming to pass, the closer the rapture of the church is going to be. The calling away and the catching away of the believer. He said in verse 5, You are children of light. And children of the day, we are not of the night nor of darkness. When you hear stories about the Euphrates River drying up, that's a major sign. When you see the development of 
the ability for them to be able to communicate around the world globally, to be able to see the two witnesses of God around the world, that's right before your very eyes. When, when you see uh, these things coming to pass and the artificial intelligence to be able to make the image of the beast, to be able to speak, it's right before your eyes. To be able to take something invisible and put it on your, like a, like a mark, on your head or on your wrist to be able to buy and sell to become a cashless society. It's right before your eyes. When you see wars and rumors of wars around the nation of Israel and the, and the city of Jerusalem, it's right before your eyes. You should be children of the day. And even so, and the Bible says here in verse number 8, but let us, that's the church, the believer who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us, who? The church of God. To what? To wrath. But to obtain salvation, deliverance by our Lord Jesus Christ. Now in conclusion of this, I need you to go back over to chapter 4. Let me conclude with this. And you need to understand this is so critical. Notice in verse number 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep. Talking about those who died in Christ. Those who have gone to be with the Lord. That you sorrow not even as others which have what? No hope. So there's the them and then there's the others. There's a great separation here. We die with hope and confidence. Or... You can die with no hope and no confidence. You say, well, I got it figured out, brother. I've got it figured out. I don't care what anybody says. Well, listen, the Bible says the expectations of the wicked will perish. My confidence is in God's Word. God's Word alone. God's Word alone. The conclusion here is, is that you don't want to die without hope. You say, well, I, I think that maybe there's another chance for me on the other side of the grave. And see, here's where you are ignorant. And I would not have you to be ignorant. You die without Christ. Are you listening to me? Those of you watching, those of you listening in prison, you die without Christ, there is no hope. If a couple of Mormons come to visit you in prison, or a couple of Mormons come to visit your household, do you understand what they believe? about what I just told you today. Let me quote you from a book. Sister Angela Mitchell, she drives one of the county's vehicles that carries seniors around. And there are some that she carries to the Mormon temple here in Houston. And they gave her some material. She said, yeah, I'll take it. I'll give it to my pastor. He'd appreciate it. And I did. Because I like to quote from their material. And here's what it says. Please be, this is just an an idea because this is the same things that Catholics promote concerning purgatory. And this is what the Mormons promote concerning death. By the way, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. I'm going to teach you something and we're going to go to the house. Okay? Turn to 1 Corinthians 15. This is very important. 1 Corinthians 15. This is the book about the gospel. The chapter about the gospel, what the gospel is, the simplicity of the gospel. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, if we believe that Jesus died. In chapter number 4, the end of that book chapter, he says, I want you to understand that Christ died for us. He didn't just die, he died for us. Now, this, this is out of one, I just copied it this morning, brother. Kenneth was in my office when I was taking care of this, and it was, this is their material. Your path to the temple, he said, the temple is the house of the Lord. It's a place where we learn about Heavenly Father making covenants with Him and receive great blessings. In the temple, we do important work for ourselves and for family members who have already died. The work that is done in the temple includes baptisms for the dead, endowments and ceilings. These are called temple ordinances. 
When you are eight years old, you can be baptized and confirmed a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Many of your ancestors have died without being baptized and confirmed. Though their bodies are dead, their spirits are still alive in the spirit world. Where they can be taught the gospel of Jesus Christ. What a lie. That is a bald-faced lie. And when they go on TV and say, we'll send you a copy of a KJV Bible, how deceptive is that? Because they don't believe it. They don't practice it. They're not restricted by it. They also then want to send you one of their Book of Mormons that alters the Word of God. Then they say, when you are 12 years old, you can go to the temple and help these people, talking about your ancestors, by being baptized and confirmed in their name. They can then choose. Now, if you'll go and get baptized for them, then those spirits in the spirit world... Listen, if I'm in the spirit world, I think if I get another chance, I'm taking it. Amen? Then they can choose whether or not they want to accept baptism and confirmation. Okay, so I'm dead. I'm in the spirit world. And you come along and say, oh, there's my nephew. There's my grandson. He's in the temple getting baptized for me and confirmed for me. Hey, I can... I can, I can, I can make it, even though I live wicked and, you understand the foolishness of this. Why would you say no to that? It says they can then choose whether or not they want to accept baptism and confirmation. You will wear all white, well that's important, when you are baptized for the dead. Just as you do when you are baptized for yourself. Do you understand that that's ignorance? Ignorance on purpose. You say, well, Brother Roger, the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15, look right here. Paul said in verse number 29, he said this, he said, Else what shall they do which are baptized for the dead? If the dead rise not at all, why are they then baptized for the dead? That's a good question. Would, can I ask you, when you read a Bible verse, would you at least look at what chapter it's written in? In chapter 15, what is he talking about? There were some people that were asking and questioning whether or not, and but didn't, and, and said, "Did Jesus really rise from the dead?" And that's why he said this. He said in verse number sixteen, "For if the dead rise not, then then is not Christ raised? And if Christ is not raised, then your faith is vain, and you were yet in your sins." So if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your belief is in vain. And down in verse number 15, you got, if you are baptized for somebody that is dead, talking about if Christ is still dead, then your baptism means nothing. That's all that means. That's it. It's very simple. If you pull it out of its context, then you can make it say what you want to say. Baptism by proxy. But here's what he said. If you believe not that Jesus died for you and that God raised Him from the dead, you will die in your sins and there will be no hope. When you're talking to a lost loved one who's suffering in the hospital and they die and you say, well, they're better off, they're not better off. No matter what pain you're going through, it'd be better for you not to die and spend eternity in a lake of fire where there is no opportunity for you to be saved again, ever. And so, these people are being baptized by proxy. You go into a Catholic church, you go into, I've been to a lot of Catholic churches, especially in foreign countries, you walk in there, you walk into that, into that foyer, and man, there are candles lit up everywhere. Those candles represent somebody that, of a, a soul that is in purgatory, and somebody is paying the priest, and the more you pay, the faster they get out of purgatory. It's just a bunch of lies. And Paul said, I don't want you to be ignorant about this. If you've got a loved one that died in Christ, they're asleep in Christ, you'll see them again. If you believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
The simplicity of the gospel is for you to believe that you're a sinner and that Jesus died for your sins and that God raised Him from the dead. And God will forgive you and cleanse you. And when you die, you'll go be with the Lord and your body will be planted. And one day there'll be a great moment of the resurrection of the body and your soul and spirit will be placed into that spiritual body forever to be with the Lord. But if you if you die without Christ, I'm telling you, you have no hope. I mean no hope. Nobody's getting you out of anywhere. There's no hope. Don't be ignorant about this. And when you're talking to your loved ones about death, eternity, and heaven and hell, do not sit there and act like you don't know the truth. Because you don't want to face a little controversy. You tell the truth. They need to hear it. They need to hear the truth. And God has given you divine truth from His Word. This is not Brother Roger's opinion. Chapter 5 says, Prove all things, hold fast to that which is good. Hold on to it. Let's stand together, please. Are you here this morning with hope in your heart that you will see Christ? Are you hopeful this morning that you will be ready for the rapture? Are you hopeful this morning and confident that you will see your loved ones? Or are you ready this morning to get right with God? And give your heart to Jesus Christ. And be willing to turn from all of man-made works, man-made ways, and give your heart to the work of God. One of the things that Paul spoke of specifically in Romans chapter number 10 is that people can be very zealous in their religion, but ignorant of God's righteousness. Don't be ignorant of Christ's righteousness, which has been provided for you. How can I receive it? By you casting aside all yours. Bowing your knee and say, Lord, I believe in the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus died for me, that you raised him from the dead, and I'm calling upon him to be my Savior and my Lord. And whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. 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 Saved from the wages of my sin and saved from the eternal wrath of God. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I pray, if there's anybody here this morning that needs to be saved, Lord, I pray that you draw them unto yourself, that maybe they repent towards you and receive Christ. And Lord, I pray for that, that child of God that maybe is troubled about a loved one. I pray they'd find comfort, that they are comforted, that they'd find comfort, that they'll see them again at the coming of the Lord. In Jesus' name.